Well, good evening. It is good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for tonight is on the subject of guilt, looking at the one word of guilt. Last week we looked at the word shame, and guilt and shame kind of go together. Often when we refer to one, we are referring to the other, but they do have their differences, and we'll discuss those a little bit as we get into our lesson for tonight. Uh, but in particularly tonight, we're looking at the word guilt. We begin tonight by asking a question, the kind of question that we ask in most of these lessons. What is guilt? What is guilt? Now, as we look at guilt, uh, again, it is associated with shame, but there are some differences between the two. If you look up the meaning for the word shame, we'll start with that one. We find that it is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. In other words, when one knows that he has done something wrong and he's afraid to face it or the person he has wronged, that would be shame. He is shamed because of his behavior or because of his wrongdoing. But when we look at, at guilt, guilt is more on the, the, I guess, the result of wrongdoing. But guilt is defined as the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. As we look at the two, as we look at shame and guilt, one may feel shame because of his knowledge of his guilt. If he knows that he is guilty, he may be shamed because of that guilt. But guilt in, its, in and of itself does not explicitly imply the emotion attached to it, such as shame or remorse. So when we look at guilt, we're, we're simply looking at the wrongdoing and the effects of it. It is simply a statement of fact, whether guilty or not guilty. We often think of guilt in legal terms. One who is found guilty must face the consequences of his actions, which are ultimately decided, at least in a legal sense, uh, a sentencing by a judge. And other consequences may also be attached to guilt. Whether one is found guilty in the court of law or there is not enough evidence to convict him. Just because there is not enough evidence to convict someone of guilt for something that they have done doesn't mean that they're not guilty. And one way or another they will face consequences of their actions. And we think of, of consequences. Uh, you think of those that, that may be seen from an outward perspective. You, you think of, of someone who's involved in uh, adultery or an extramarital affair. affair. It may re result in the conception of a child, uh, an unplanned pregnancy. And so that would be something that would be a consequence for the guilt of sin. You also might think of the, the mental anguish of knowing the truth when others do not. 
and wondering if others will find out the truth. A good example, I think, for those of us that in school had to read the Scarlet Letter, if I remember the story correctly, and I may not have all the details exactly right, but you had this woman named Hester Prynne, and she was, obviously she had sinned. And so in that day and time, the way that, that society handled that, at least in the story, was that she was to wear this Scarlet Letter A. And so outwardly, anybody that saw her in town would know that she was an adulteress. However, there were no outward consequences for the man that was involved in this affair. And we see later in the story that, that he was a preacher, if I remember this correctly. And even though he didn't bear the outward signs of this guilt... He bore it on the inside. He, he dealt with the mental anguish of his sin. And, and you see later on in the story where he shows that he has carved an A on his chest. No one can see it from an outward standpoint, but he bears with the mental anguish of his sin, of knowing that he has sinned. And so we might deal with it from uh, that standpoint. We may deal with it inwardly, but there are still consequences that go along with that guilt. And so as we look at this, this word, we see that, that guilt is, is something that, that can cause a great deal of anguish and sorrow, whether it is known or whether it is not. Let's look for the rest of our time at what the Bible says about guilt. What do we learn about guilt from a biblical standpoint? Look at the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We looked at this a little bit last week, uh, but we looked at it from the standpoint of shame, and we'll look at that in a moment. But as we look at, at the events of chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve sinned. They were tempted and they sinned. We pick up reading in verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman you, whom you gave to me, or to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Knowing their sin, they first tried to hide it from God 
by hiding themselves. They knew they were guilty, but they had not faced God yet, and they were ashamed to do so. And so we see the, the way that, that shame works in their sin. They were also ashamed of their nakedness, so they tried to cover themselves, and we see ineffectively uh, in a moment. But they felt shame because of their guilt, but they had not yet faced the consequences of their guilt before God. We pick up reading in verse 14 of Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And shall bruise, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now... Lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We see that Adam and Eve and the serpent too serpent suffered the consequences of their actions. They were guilty of their sin. Man was forced to work, to till the ground, to take care of it. Eve suffered in childbearing. And as we look at, at these, as we look at their guilt, as we look at their sin, one of the things that we find is that God still loved them. Their guilt did not end God's love for them as he clothed them properly with tunics of skin. As we read in verse 21, God still loved them. He still cared for his creation. And so he clothed them in the proper way. They were banished from the garden ultimately, but God still loved them. Almost as parents still love their children, even when they have done wrong. 
Although we know that God's love is the greatest love that we could ever imagine. We see it in similar terms to man. Because they introduced sin into the world, they also suffered the loss of a son, Abel, due to the sinful acts of his brother Cain. And even in, in all of this, Abel's life became a testament of faithfulness. We read in Hebrews 11 and verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. As we look at sin and as we look at guilt, the consequences of our actions may affect our families after. Even for generations, very seldom are the consequences of our guilt confined only to self. Someone else, in most cases, will suffer. Guilt can affect us mentally and physically, as we noticed earlier. David, the psalmist, was very vocal in his emotions and feelings, and especially in expressing them to God. We read of, of many of his thoughts and many of his concerns in the book of Psalms. And particularly in Psalm 32, we see that he is the writer of this psalm, and he speaks of guilt here in Psalm 32, beginning with verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. One who has sought God's forgiveness, blessed is he. But notice what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In verses 3 and 4, we read of the effects of guilt. When I kept silent, 
my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the draft of summer. Even the mental anguish of knowing his guilt affected his physical being as well. You know, often when it is that we have some kind of a, an ache or a pain, it, it kind of affects how we feel overall, doesn't it? it? It affects our day. It affects how we live. Even if we're only dealing with a hurt finger, it can affect us in, in full physical form. If you have a headache, it's like you, you ache all over as well. And in thinking of guilt, we find the, the same kind of feeling. Knowing his mental anguish, knowing his guilt, did affect his physical being to the point that when he finally had to acknowledge this guilt and repent. And he instructs others to do the same. If we have any kind of sin against God, any kind of guilt, something that we know that we are guilty of, David's encouragement is to repent. Make it right with the Lord. In verse 10, we see that sorrow is upon the wicked because of his guilt. But the Lord provides mercy to the one who puts his trust in God. We also see this same kind of thing in the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, in a story that is very familiar to us, Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. We see in verses 14 through 16 that he suffered the physical consequences of his guilt. As when he had spent all that he had, what happened to him? There was a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. He was hungry. He, he didn't have anything, and so he had to, to work for the things that he needed. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. He fed pigs, swine. And it says in verse 16 that, that as he looked at, at what they were eating, he was so hungry 
that he wanted to eat the same things they were eating. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He suffered the physical consequences of his guilt. He, he had done wrong by his father in asking the inheritance. He had done wrong by going into this far country and wasting it. He was guilty and he knew it. He also suffered the mental anguish because of his guilt. Verse 17 but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He realized his guilt, and he knew that he had left his father. And he thought of just the servants and all the good things that they were enjoying when he, he had left. And so, from a mental standpoint also, he suffered anguish because of his guilt. In verses 18 and 19, he realized his need for repentance. I will arise and go to my father and, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And as we read further into the text, we see that he did go home to his father. His father was watching for him. His father ran to meet him. I, I love that, that term, ran. His father ran to him. And he didn't even get to finish what he had rehearsed in his head. His father was happy to see him. He called for robe to be put on him. He called for celebration. And we know the rest of the story. Earlier in the, the chapter, Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And as we look at that parable, the parable of the lost sheep, we see that the one was wandering. The shepherd went to find it and he brings him back. There's great joy over him bringing that one lost sheep back. If we look at it in reference to the Pharisees and the scribes and them as being the sheep, it's not necessarily that they were righteous or that there are any righteous. But they thought they were righteous. <coughs> There's more joy in heaven over one who repents than over 99 that felt that they were righteous before God and thought they needed no repentance. As we read in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned. In Romans 3 verse 21, we read of God's mercy and His grace. Romans 3 verse 21 But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the, at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All have sinned. We've all committed sin. No one is righteous of his own accord. There's nothing that I can do to earn righteousness. There's nothing that I can do that will cause me to be seen as righteous before God. At least not on my own. But through God's grace, one finds justification through the blood of Christ, as we read in verses 24 and 25. Because of God's grace, the sins we have committed are passed over, is the term that is used here. Providing righteousness to the one who has sinned. Justification, justified. Best definition I've ever heard just as if I've never sinned. However, in order for us to come in contact with the cleansing blood of Christ, God's grace is only applied when we come in contact with this blood through repentance and obedience to the gospel. This morning we looked at, at Peter speaking the, the gospel sermon, the first gospel sermon, as we often refer to it in Acts chapter 2. Not the first sermon necessarily, the first one preaching salvation to the Jews, full salvation through the blood of Christ. And what did Peter tell them that they needed to do? In Acts 2 and verse 38, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's the same thing that we do today. It is through the blood of Christ, it is through His suffering that we find the redemption that we need. Let's read in Luke 24 and verse 46. And even in obedience to the gospel, we must also remain faithful. And so we sing these songs like we sang tonight about faith and continuing in faith. We understand the importance of God's grace. We understand the, the importance of obedience. But we must continue to live faithfully for God. I leave you with the Lord's invitation tonight. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, if you need to come in obedience, or if you need to come in, uh, in repentance, asking for prayer, for forgiveness, for help, if there's some way that you are subject to the Lord's invitation, if there's some way that we can help you, 
We give you the opportunity to respond. As together we stand and as we sing.